the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond and the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio from Stoneville. Tom is here with me. Tom, thank you for taking time out of your schedule this afternoon. I know you're busy. Afternoon. Just still trying to make up for a few things that didn't get done the first 10 weeks of the year. And then we have a majority of the entomologists here with us today. Don, how are you, buddy? Fair to Midland. Whitney? Doing good. How are you? Jeff can't say anything. Jeff's sitting on the couch with no headphones, so he's just here for coaching and moral support. Just nod your head. All right, Jeff's giving y'all a thumbs up. Got, yeah, two for, thumbs up. For those, for those of you watching on video, we Jeff. We need somebody <laughs> to give us a little color commentary. Oh, wait, yeah, video. Where is the video? There is no video. That's what I thought. So this will be our first entomology podcast of, of the year. 2021, correct. Well, not, not really. Not really. We did no, that one. Yeah, that's right. We do have a bunch of the seed treatment. We did the one with the seed treatment, so that was technically some entomology to that one. One quarter. Yeah. Of the entomology. So how's the entomology world? Uh, it's doing okay. little activity. Don, the man of few words. Well, you Whitney, know. how is the entomology <laughs> world? Not much is happening at the moment. We're getting ready for another year. So y'all been planting plots today? They have. They've been planting a little cotton. Well, you came in with your cowboy hat on, so what have you been doing? That means you've been doing something. Well, outside. we've been out doing a little surveying on some corn, trying to assess how widespread, you know, snake bug injury is in corn and trying to figure out why certain fields have injury and why others don't. We're going to do some kind of a shotgun of topics today with Don and Whitney. I think we're going to do, Don mentioned stink bugs and corn. Whitney's going to talk about thrips some, and then we're going to touch on some red-banded stink bugs. Don, i got a question for you, though, before we start. Lay it on me. Would you rather fight... One horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? I think I'd go with a one. That's the way I, I don't have to look behind me all the time. Not a bad logic. I think that's what Tom went with when I posed the question to him, wasn't it, Tom? No, you went no, with no. you went I, with a hundred because you wanted to, you wanted to kick them. Absolutely, They're a little yeah. easier to deal with one at a time. Of course, you'd probably have to be dealing with a gaggle of them. So you got to think, though, man. A duck the size of a horse, that's going to be a mean duck. You remember those ducks at LSU? Yeah, but you think you got 10 in front of you, you got 90 behind you. <laughs> How are you going to look out behind you all the time? I just picture Tom going into some kind of crazy windmill, <laughs> knocking baby horses out. What, what was Don talking about, chasing a chasing a hare across the back 40? Yeah, that's about right. That's where Rab my head's going right rabbit. now. Rabbit. Rabbit. All the same thing. Rabbit through a briar patch. Sure. <laughs> See, I'd already forgotten. Stink bugs and corn. Our corn's up and going. Corn is up and a, finally growing. A little bit of cool weather that last week. I think a lot of it's been fertilized. I mean, you drive around, you Most, see a lot of knife marks. Most of it has been fertilized. Uh, it's, it's greening up. But the earliest planted corn is biggest I've seen is like D6. And, I mean, we're looking at seven weeks after planting. I mean, that three to four weeks after planting, you know, that first winter in the first part of March, when it turned off cool, this corn has sat there. One thing that Eric said on the – episode we did with him way back about I guess about the time we started planting Tom with heat units corn planted the first day of March is hypothetically first day of March 15th of March 
by the first of April, it may all be at the same point, just with heat unit accumulation, and that's basically what you're describing. Absolutely, we were been doing some looking in a couple of weeks ago. I got thinking, you know, about the temperature. I was like, shoot, we're getting two heat units a day. Right, which are not much. No, we there's a fair bit of stink bug damage in these older fields, especially the ones that were in beans. Now, most of it is, you know, extremely cosmetic unlikely to be any issues we're just looking for presence of it i have some ideas i can't scientifically prove any of this but i think the years where that that corn gets planted it comes up and it turns off cold and it grows really slow it's susceptible to stink bugs for a lot longer period v4 is kind of the cutoff where it gets to the point where it's not they can't really hit it very hard emergence to v4 is especially like v2 is seems to be very sensitive and when you hold it in that at that growth stage for 18 days i mean that's a lot of opportunities for those for those insects to to get on it so what's the damage associated with stink bugs and corn you'll initially like be pinholes in the leaves as in a in a row as that leaf unfurls and is uh that's basically dead spots where they put their proboscis through and is Whoa. yeah that's, that's a big that's a big etymology word don't mouth parts we'll put it that way and as that grows you got that dead area and it just gets elongated ragged as that leaf grows you can have some stunning from it if it gets into the growing point you can have dead heart you can have plant death if they hit they hit the growing point just right so especially with a big wind so you know if you've got perforated leaves and then a big wind like we had a few days last week, you'll you'll get you'll shred those leaves and they look real ratty. Yield loss is probably minimal with that. When it starts stunting, and or dead heart and or tillering, you can get in some pretty good yield losses. Will Hardman, as a student, finished last year, looked at this a good bit. Uh, he had damaged plants that never made an ear. They can just be killed outright, you know, from this. In a stink bug feeding. Now, typically, what you'll see is they're along the edges of fields. Unless you got a really small field, you never see it uniform across the entire field. But you know, there's a couple of hot spots around there where it's kind of starting to get ugly looking. So, does that tend to be along overwintering sites? For Absolutely. Stink bugs? Um, wood lines, uh, ditch banks, anything with an overwintering habitat for them. Particularly if it was in beans last year because the stink bugs were in the beans, especially later beans, and then when they went out, they went into somewhere to overwinter, and we're talking about brown stink bugs. Jeff's tracking with you. He's coaching you up over here from the couch. He ought to know that I can't read that from here either. (laughs) Few can. I mean, he didn't write it very small, but... um, It's only nine feet or so, Don. (laughs) Yeah, I'm only 52 <laughs> years old, too. He doesn't have his readers on. Yeah, they don't work that distance either. You know, it's ten, generally clumped along, you know, near overwintering sites, that, particularly in fields that were in beans last year because they came out of the beans, went into overwintering, and then they came out this year. And that, the corn was right there available and is the first thing they found to eat on. I should mention, those do overwinter as adults. Yes, they do. Okay. These things are very difficult to detect in corn. I mean, we've got really good people looking for them, and they're just hard to find. And we, there's a lot about this we don't understand, the interaction with the weather. They may be active 
during the warmest two hours of the day on a 55 degree day. If you don't check it during that, that field during that period, you may not find them. There's a lot of unknowns that we're working on and I'm not sure we'll ever figure out all of the ecology on it. But So what is your scouting technique for it? You're just looking for the feeding adults? You have to you have to look for the for the adults during that you know emergence to V four period because what we're seeing now is damage from fourteen to twenty one days ago. I mean, and it's too late, right? And then once you get past V four, we're fe- seeing a few bugs, but the response to the plants from feeding goes way down after V four. It's kind of weird. It took me a while to wrap my head around it. Until about V4, the growing point on a corn plant is underground. Right. And then that's about time it gets above ground. Visualize you have a, a corn plant standing up, and you have a, a brown stink bug right there at the soil line. His mouth parts kind of point down. Better. That's better. Kind of point downward. So he's is, is there sitting on the side of that plant and trying to feed. They're going, those mouth parts are going down toward the growing point. And they have some digestive enzymes that will, you know, break down plant tissue. More than likely, it is a combination of the physical and the chemical damage to that growing point that causes dead heart and or entire plant death. So then what's the treatment? Is there a treatment? If you can find them, you can spray them with bifenthrin or several others. The highest rates of seed treatments do fairly well, but that is very expensive. I can't tell you which fields to put that in with any reliability that you're going to have a problem. I actually talked to a guy earlier today that he added some bifenthrin to his uh, herbicide treatment, and I assume that's what he was doing it for. The, the other thing is I can't, I can't tell you when to time that. If you happen to be in that field during the period that they're active and detect them, yes, you can target it. But if you're, I mean, if they're only active for a couple of hours a day and you, and you just you don't happen to go by that field during that period, you may not find them. And no, so no residual treatment then? Well, you're going to get, what, five days out of a pyrethroid. So, I mean, if it takes three and a half weeks to get from emergence to V4, you can't afford to spray four times during that period. Or should you just spray field edges? And, and that's probably a Well, the other deal is I can't, we can't accurately predict which fields to spray the edges on. Right. I mean, I can tell you that if you were in beans, especially if you were, you know, reduced tillage with a lot of residue, there seems to be something with that. Where it's in beans last year and along overwinter sites, I can tell you that that's probably got a higher probability, but I can't guarantee you'll have a problem in that field. So, you, so you may waste an application is what I'm saying. But then you'd make a decision based on whether or not there was injury present within that particular field location. Well, usually by the time you see injury, it's too late. What we're seeing now at V5, V4 to V6 is injury that occurred at like V2 to V3. I mean, it's not like it shows up three days later. No, I was just going to say, generally speaking, people tend to spray on the damage. Some do. Some of it I see is too late. Trying to detect these things in time to make an application to prevent damage has been very difficult. Are you all continuing this ditch bank survey this year? Yes, we are continuing the ditch bank survey this year. We have actually already started. As of last week, there was one red-banded stink bug found in Adams County in 500 sweeps. 
So the likelihood due to the cold weather a while back may impact the red-banded stink bugs this year, so they may not be as far north as they were last year. But we'll continue to do the surveys and evaluate the situation as the season progresses. I was going to say, how's that compared to this time period last year? This time period last year, we were finding them relatively north in the state. I don't, I don't remember how far about this time, but I know we were finding them in like Sunflower County and in Grenada. What a huge numbers, but they were not hard to find this time last year. Well, and I didn't follow what the weather did further, much further south of here. My assumption would be they got pretty cold this year just based on how cold we were in this my, part of Mississippi. My mother had six inches of snow in Winsboro, Louisiana. We'll continue to monitor. There'll be updates on the blog weekly. So nobody should panic at this point is what you're saying? Correct. No one should panic. As far as planting, we're planting soybeans. We're so much further ahead this year than we were last year. If we do have any, we li- we're liable to outrun a bunch of them with these really early planted beans. With that said, what about Louisiana? I know Louisiana had had a report of finding some red banded stink bugs a few weeks ago, but I'm sure it was still at a pretty low. Uh-oh, I'm getting a look. Maybe we can, that probably I should just I think be that was C. Brown. I'm pretty sure that was C. And that was pretty far south, too. Right. I think that was below Alexandria where he was finding those. And one would expect it would have been a little bit yes. warmer there throughout the winter, even even as cold as it got throughout most of Louisiana and South Mississippi, or could have gotten. What's going on in the cotton world? What do we need to be talking about now within cotton? I mean, looking forward, because obviously we don't have a lot of cotton planted at this point in time. Thrift's going to be the first thing we deal with. And how bad are they going to be? So looking at in North Carolina State University has a prediction model. So I was looking at it earlier for both Stoneville and in Starkville. So if you plan in the next couple of weeks, the highest potential injury is essentially going to be mid-May to end of the May as of right now. So at some point we'll be in a – whether you plant now – in the ne- or in the next two weeks, the window of susceptibility will likely fall somewhere in there. Obviously, if you plant earlier, it's going to be not as far as in that window as if you plant a little bit later. Hopefully, it looked like it was going to peak at the end of the May and steadily decrease. But essentially, what I'm trying to say is thrips will be similar to last year and will be in high presence toward the end of May. And what are our best management options for early season thrips? So best management options obviously is some type of at planting or seed treatment option. So if you can find Eris, it's a good option. If you're going to utilize a seed treatment, the option would be gaucho, but we don't recommend using it alone. So either with the acephate over treatment or acephate in furrow. Obviously have options like Aglogic or imidacloprid in furrow as well. Gaucho acephate has looked pretty pretty good the last couple of years. I know quite a few folks have, with the two seed treatments of those and have been pretty happy. That planting or the seed treatments are the better option compared to the foliar because you run the risk of spraying late or especially last year, we're not seeing as effective control with acephate as we once were. So the inferral option or the over treatment is a better option as far as utilizing acephate for thrips management. If for some reason you do have to make a foliar application, acephate does is still effective, but just be mindful that it's not working as well in some areas. But you also have options like Radiant or Intrepid Edge, which have been providing the best control in our Mid-South tests the last couple of years. Remembering back to 
walking some of those plots with you all last year, mostly is related to looking for the new cotton virus. Some of the plots that looked the best had aldicarb in them, but obviously we can't get enough aldicarb to really satisfy the need that we would have to manage early season thrips. No, and it's, I mean, it's, it's an expensive option. I, I was going to say, it's slightly cost prohibitive. Uh, it's more expensive than it was, you know, 10 years ago, a good bit more expensive. But it's been the gold standard for thrips for 40 plus years. What kind of damage do the thrips cause? Uh, uh, you'll see an overall kind of stunning of the plant. You'll see, I mean, severe cases, you'll see the nodes stack, leaves will crinkle up. What they'll do is they'll they feed on the, basically the epidermal cells or the outer layer of cells. You get air in there, and it gets a, that's where that silvery appearance comes from. But it, you have areas of dead tissue, and they just crinkle up, and it just it's, you see a lot of stunning. I have seen some pretty substantial yield losses in the past. Typically, you know, from our you know Mississippi South. More consistently, you see maturity delays. You get up into Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, where they have a much shorter growing season. They have consistent yield losses every year. If we have a really good fall, we can make up for it if we have enough time. Management-wise, one thing I wanted to say, I know it comes up every year about mixing a foliar insecticide with your first herbicide application. And I think that's been really, really common over the years, not as simple now as it was with the extend and the tank mix yeah. requirements. So I would just encourage folks to be sure to check the, the websites to know that what you're mixing with your herbicide is a legal tank mix. A lot of times, you know, if you're timing it with a herbicide applications, uh, the thrips application is, is late, fairly common. The best benefit from a foliar, and it's always situational dependent, is usually that one to two leaf stage. And a lot of times those herbicide applications are targeted in the three to four to five leaf stage. You mentioned delayed maturity. If I think about weed control, you know, you got the critical period for weed control and then the critical weed-free period. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, after a point, which is for cotton is not very long, the damage done to yield from weed interference is done. You know, it's not going to get worse than you're just into harvest efficiency and that type of thing. But then cotton also has a remarkable ability to compensate being an indeterminate crop. Is it that black and white with thrips? From a yield standpoint, in my opinion, it's very fluid. If you have good conditions from that early period on, a long growing season, you know, warm fall, You'll make up for it. I guess that's what I was describing in Compounding my brain. Compounding stresses. Yeah, that didn't come out of my mouth, Well, But the other part of that is, yeah, you didn't lose yield, but you had to carry that crop longer. You had to deal with plant bugs longer. You had to deal with mites longer. You may have to deal with bowworm longer. So it's not, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be okay if I have a good fall. There's a cost to it. Because you've got to deal with all this other stuff for a longer period of time and maybe even later in the season when they're worse. And a lot of times that just comes with the territory on cotton. Yep. You can make up a lot of ground, but you got to. There's a cost to making yep, up. you got to pay for it. Breaking development in the entomology group. 
Tagged in. Jeff has tagged in. Go for gore. I just realized something sitting here on the couch listening to y'all talk about sprays. And in this room, we have the full spectrum of spraying. So you as a weed scientist, I mean, the option is always spray. Well, that's not necessarily <laughs> true. <laughs> it is, too. It is. It is. Okay. I mean, we're we're going to put down a, a pre-herbicide, those residuals, lay down those residuals. I mean, when it comes to weed management, we spray. We could till. We could rotate our crops. We could do a lot of things. Well, I know, but even when you do all that, we're still adding We could a use a flame cultivator. Not real common in this part of the world anymore. Yeah, no, we can't. But we <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Jeff's and right. So, and so then you go to the insect world, and we're, I hate to use the word conservative, but we tend to be a little more conservative. We want to scout and only spray when necessary. And then you have the plant pathologist where Here it's like go. opening the gates of hell to tell them, to spray a fungicide. Are you going to take that sitting down? I'm fine. I'm <laughs> fine with that. There's a lot of truth to that statement. <laughs> Jeff's like one of those little duck-sized horses. He's yeah, exactly. He's in your ear. <laughs> I'm kicking him. And look, there's another one showing up. That I'm, one, I'm, that, I'm that 90 behind him. <laughs> so any other additional thoughts from the entomology crew on anything that we've covered? Anything we should be most focused on the next couple of weeks? Y'all got another one outside the door needs to tag in or something? Not that I'm aware of. Well, hey, with that, folks, we definitely appreciate our continued listeners and the continued comments from folks are pretty spectacular. They've been important. We really appreciate that. We appreciate the time you take out of your day to listen to us. Uh, this is something we enjoy doing, and we certainly really appreciate having the entomologists in today to have a conversation with us about some of these early season topics uh, and the early season management situations in corn and cotton at this point. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.